Welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. Join your hosts Jeff, Owen, Josh, and Herman as they dive deep into the game of Malifaux. Explore sophisticated strategies and creative combinations, but always remember in Malifaux, bad things happen. Hello, and welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. This podcast is designed for the intermediate Malifaux player to advance skills and strategies in a competitive setting. As such, we won't be reading the cards and abilities out to you unless it's vitally important, and we'll be focusing on tips and tricks of each crew as this podcast progresses. In our inaugural episode, we're going to discuss the strats and schemes of gaining ground season one, and which masters we feel accomplish them best for each faction. But first, I'd like to introduce the crew. Owen? Hey folks, I'm Owen Best, and I'm here in the Capital City region, hence the name of our podcast. Uh, so I've been playing Malifaux since beginning of second edition, and you may have heard me on the uh, Third Floor Wars podcast or in helping organize the Nova Open uh, tabletop wargaming convention. My main factions are Outcast, uh, with a dabbling of Ten Thunders here and there. So you'll be hearing a lot from me on those topics. Uh, but to take it to the next level for some other factions, let me turn it over to my friend Josh. Hi, everybody. My name is Josh Antoline. I've been playing Malifaux since late first edition. Picked up my, my first crew box after the 1.5 uh, update to the original Malifaux rules. Uh, I primarily play Resurrectionists with a little bit of Ten Thunders and a, dab, a smattering of outcasts in there just to spice things up. Uh, I will pass this off to Herman. Hey everybody, this is Herman. I actually started playing Malifaux with Book 1 back in 2010. I had started with Summerteeth Jones when the only real tactic was to fart your opponents to death. I currently am playing Neverborn, but I have recently this year expanded into Guild, and am learning the ropes on that as well. And now to bring it full circle, to our MC and hostess with the mostess, Jeff. Hi, this is not Herman, uh, and I, I'm Jeff Mansker. Uh, I, you heard me on Third Floor Wars uh, and a couple of other podcasts. Um, my main faction has been Neverborn, uh, but I've also dabbled and played in uh, tournaments Ten Thunders, Outcasts, Resurrectionists. Uh, I stay away from Bayou and Guild, and I will be picking up the Explorer Society. So uh, some of my comments I'm going to have to keep to myself throughout this episode uh, in regards to them, because they're not released yet uh but i'm really looking forward to this and uh, i'm looking forward to bringing great strategies to you all um but right now let's start looking into jumping into these gaining ground season one missions uh, after a short break and now a word from our sponsor you don't have any sponsors okay well that's not good Hey, welcome back. Uh, so in this section, we're going to discuss the strats and schemes overview uh, of Gaining Ground Season 1, uh, and we're going to begin with the strat breakdown. First, I'd like to say a disclaimer. These are the best master masters per faction in our opinion. We don't even agree completely on these masters, and a person's advice is no substitute for experience. That being said, none of us play Arcanist or Bayou exclusively, so our advice is from a versus standpoint. In the end, play what you enjoy. That will be the master that you are best with, because if you enjoy playing it, you'll have more experience with it. 
First thing that we're going to talk about is corrupted ley lines. Uh, let's go over. Uh, Herman, what are your thoughts on corrupted ley lines? I'd probably say I think it's the easiest of all the strategies because literally all you have to do is exist. And that is something any of us can do. Certainly me, when I'm watching Netflix and chilling, I'm just existing. That is the same thing as playing corrupted ley lines. Pick any master you like, go through your faction, find something that's fast enough to go from point A to point B, include that in your crew, and then you're good to go. So that's just my initial impressions on it. So I think I really actually like corrupted ley lines a lot in the game um, for that reason, Herman, because a lot of strategies in the past or even in this current pool involve going and killing enemy models or going and interacting with some particular part of the board. I think the thing I really like about corrupted ley lines is that it's kind of like um, in second edition, there used to be a, a strategy. I think it was called, oh, geez, now, now I'm losing my memory of what it was. But the, the strategy was there were two points on the board in the center line, and you had to have a model next to each one to score points. And so I think this really allows for some slightly different crew builds because um, you want speedy models, but you the stipulation of not being able to place while having the marker means that you can't just rely on leaps and flight to get you there. I I agree with Owen. I This is probably of the strats in there, uh, one of my favorite. Um, not quite because they, you just have to exist, but because it leads to a different play style than all the other ones. It's having to have a model at a specific place at a specific time, you have to figure out how to traverse that distance, understand what your opponent can do to counter that. Uh, so you need to have a good knowledge of both your crew and your plan and also your opponent's capabilities to thwart your plan to really excel at this. Uh, so I think it just goes beyond just, I murder my opponent's crew and just win. Because if you murder your opponent's crew, but you're not in the right position, so I actually zero points. Uh, like this. Uh, strat from a tournament organizer standpoint um, it gives a lot of leeway for uh, building your boards uh, it makes crews that ignore severe terrain and the actual terrain and setup of your board actually matters a lot more than in some of the other strats so things like uh, your models that ignore uh, severe terrain your uh, you know those are really important but on top of that uh, other crews that rely on things like uh, in second edition lures were kink they were one of the best abilities you could have in third edition that really dropped off but it was kind of brought back to the forefront so lures in this help out a lot if you can lure that model away from that uh, that marker it it works out great the big problem with that though is it also brings to forefront these models that had this ability that was more or less it useless in most games where they can't be moved like uh, it's great that you can't be moved but you know if you can't be moved I'm not even going to try but those make great as ball carriers as you will now so that having been said uh, let's go ahead and dive into the uh, factions and how we feel which masters uh, are best representative there uh, starting off with arcanists uh, what's the general thought with arcanist guys so I know my initial vote was Marcus, but I'm going to go ahead and change that on the fly. 
and say that I think Tony Ironsides is actually probably one of the best into this because it goes back to when she's got a really tanky crew. But you can't also, change your vote, Herman. This is DC. All we do is change votes. <laughs> so, um, but she had <laughs> probably too soon. <laughs> too soon. Um, she has bring it, and so you know, especially on turn one, both players are kind of like you scuttle into your little corner, whichever one's closest to you, and then you kind of feel like you're guaranteed to get that point. You save her toward to last, you know, final activation of turn. You push her up a little bit. And she's able to pull that bomb carrier, ley line cleanser, whatever we're calling him, off of that point. And that puts your opponent back a little bit because now they got to scramble to go find another point. They're going backwards. That's really going to mess them up, and you can do that very early in the game. So my vote on this, uh, being a uh, horrible Arcanist player, was actually Marcus. Uh, and uh, before uh, good old Harmon switched his vote here, the thought process was most of their crew ignores uh, severe terrain. They're fast. They can get around the board fairly quickly. There's a lot of pushes in the crew, uh, particularly Kojo's 10-inch push. Uh, it's really nice that you can you know, shove a ball carrier uh, up there. It's not a place. It is a push. So it's a nice 10-inch move up the board. I mean, he Kojo himself can just get your ball carrier almost to whatever marker he needs on his own. Uh, you just got to watch out for those uh, the movement shenanigans that happen. Uh, so following that up, uh, let's move on into Bayou. Oh, this is where we're kind of lacking here. Um, anybody want to take Bayou? So I'll, I'll just at least comment and, and hopefully Oliver or some of the other Bayou players don't totally, uh, roast me in the comments, but, uh, I would say Ma Tucket is a good choice here because her crew is pretty mobile and has access to things like fast rooster riders who can really cross the board quickly. This is a, a scheme, or sorry, a strategy that is all about pushes or extra AP or being able to move your models into position. Um, and so I think she has access to a lot of tools that can help with that. The same goes for Ulix. Uh, a lot of good movement enhancing uh, abilities in the crew. Uh, the ability to on Penelope to just speed up your entire crew, which every instance of of that that I I find, you know, whether it's uh, Von Stuck's totem, Carrion, emissary, it's, it's always just great to give your crew extra movement uh, to traverse that distance. To kill with all that healing. Um. Yes, the healing and just. Beefy boys, uh, them, them beefy pigs are uh, are very vexing to deal with. Uh, but I also agree with uh, Ma Tucket. I've played against Ma Tucket in that, and um, though slightly less so now than uh, now with the the fix to horrible hollering, uh, she can move her crew around the board and still shoot you off of it pretty effectively from a distance to be able to clear you out while you're on your half of the board uh, still trying to score your first two uh, ley line points well, for and the markers closer the to the with, like Ma Tuckett is that she can play a lot of really good defense because she has knock aside on herself so she can get your opponent off a marker but then they can also put down the pit traps which slow you down, do more damage because you know where they have to go 
Uh, that's a good point. I'd also like to point out uh, that we did yeah. not list Somer as the best Bayou master for all these strats, even though we all know that that's true. That's a reductionist argument. True, all right. but uh, you know, a reductionist uh, argument. We're going to move to the Explorer Society. Uh, naturally, the Explorer Society are not released yet, uh, but I will uh, tell you, Lucas McCabe is we know what he does uh he is one of the better masters within this explorer society for getting across the board he's fast uh and his crew can get around quickly not necessarily just because they're fast but the um hucksters can you know back alley across the board get to where you need to, to be and pass the ball which is one of those things that i love about this strat is being able to throw the ball to other things you don't, you don't necessarily have to have it on a model that is fast you can just kind of pass the ball you know what is it like six inches uh and it makes it for a pretty nice handoff so uh anybody else have any comments about explorers um i think that's of things we can talk about, that's probably the best option. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, in some of these strats, we're going to not be able to mention the Explorers because their master is one of the ones that uh, is not released yet. So uh, we're going to have to skip over those in some of these. Uh, moving away. Oh. Yeah, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Uh, we'll be doing a podcast episode in the future where we re revisit these and we just discuss the Explorer Society, and that will be released at the same time as the Explorer Society. So look forward to that one. Um, following Explorer Society is uh, the worst of the worst guild. Go ahead, Herman. That is why you have me talking Harsh. about it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the worst of the worst, uh, Herman. It's hey, harsh I said what I no, said. No, it's harsh. I, I apologize. I'm sorry. It's harsh because it's harsh. I keep it classy. So this will be a surprise to absolutely nobody, but it's going to be Dashel. He has by far one of the best models to summon in for uh, for free in the game for that, which would be the Mounted Guard. But also he has a whole lot of you can't move me in his keyword, uh, particularly on the Dispatcher who hands it out to other people. You've got Leadline Coat if you want to get that as an upgrade. So all those tricks that we're talking about to push people off of a marker, that's not going to happen. The other thing is that he also brings with him the ability to screw with your opponent. And he does that in the form of the Wardens, uh, who you can get fast, you can pull them up there with the rider, but then they have the range attack that'll pull a model off of a marker. So he's checking kind of all the boxes on both offense and defense, uh, sustainability, and then gumming things up. And I would say, like, that's... That's an underemphasized aspect of this strategy is the counterplay. Like being able to know that if you've placed your model in a spot next to that strategy marker and short of being killed, you know that they're not going anywhere is extremely valuable because it doesn't matter how quickly you can get there if your opponent has a way to lure you or push you or have some unresisted effect that moves you. Those sort of gotchas uh, are really easy to do. And if you have a crew that can ignore those tricks, it's going to serve you really well into this strategy. I will say I have been in a tournament uh, playing against a Dashiell player where uh, I accounted, it was one of the last, he had Dashiell left and uh, the ball carrier. 
And I was like, well, the ball carrier only has like a five inch move. He is like 12, 13 inches away from it. There's no way he can get over to it. There's no way that he can push. Uh, uh, open up Dashel. Dashel uh, activates. He summons a mounted guard. The mounted guard uh, runs over to where it needs to be because they're fast. And then that ball carrier just throws the ball over to it. And I'm like, well, didn't see that coming. So uh, it's a great gotcha moment, and it uh, feels bad when it happens. But, you know, if you're that Dashel player, it feels really good. Uh, moving on, uh, let's go take a look at Neverborn. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go back over to Herman for this one. So for this one, I know uh, Jeff had a different pick, but I was actually leaning into Pandora and or Zerata. And the reason for that is Neverborn has plenty of models that are quick enough to just run from point to point. So you can grab whoever you need to. But specifically within Pandora's keyword, you have access to Baby Cade, who has a stat 7 lure. And then you also have access to a lot of movement shenanigans again, where someone gets a condition, they're going to get pushed. Um, you also can hire in Hinamatsu, who has another lure. So you have this ability to, again, play this offensive-defensive role where you're going to be running around no problem if you use you know, a changeling who's stealthy and your opponent's going to have a difficult time messing with that versus your ability to mess with your opponent while you're out playing your own game also. I think another th one of the things with ley lines is people take those first two points automatically and then it becomes this big blob in the middle where everyone's kind of fighting over. And that big blob in the middle, that's exactly Pandora's game. She loves it when people clump up like that. That makes her more and more powerful. And that's why generally she's my pick into this. So my suggestion was Lucius. And the reason why is some of the same points that Herman just made with Baby Cade being able to lure. Uh, I will sometimes take the, uh, uh, what's the, Lilitu, uh, who is a minion that has a lure. And Lucius can make it uh, lure. So you can save Lucius to, for last and get a lure off uh, easily with that minion. Uh, he can also help to move his crew around. Uh, and in general, I kind of, I my personal preference is I really like Obey Masters. Uh, they're one of my, Obey Masters and Summoners are my jam. So uh, Lucius kind of fills that need for me. Uh, but I can see, uh, I'm never going to discount Pandora. She's my girl. Uh, and Zoraida is just kind of a badass. So, um, Anybody else have any inputs on Neverborn, or should we move on to Outcast? Let's go to Outcasts. All right, so um, this is this is my favorite faction since the very early days. Um, so I'm I'm actually gonna go first with maybe a somewhat controversial pick, and that's the Victorias. So are you planning on I, killing the markers? Uh, well. <laughs> I mean that's that's part of the plan. We'll kill the things around them. But uh, but the thing the Victorias I feel bring to this strategy is Ronin. Ronin are fantastic into this strategy because they get so much free movement. So every the keyword ability for the mercenary crew is a free two inch move at the start of every turn, and then the Ronin on top of that at the start of their activation, get a free three inch move. So they're basically getting a free walk every turn, except it's broken up into two different segments, which allows them to do things like move out of engagement or move to exactly the spot they need to move so that they can get to that marker when they need to. Um, so I like Ronin, they're fairly survivable. They can get to those ley lines. I'm going to interrupt you a little bit here. Uh, 
just because of the Ronan comment, and I know that Herman and Josh are wanting to talk right now too, but just to piggyback on that, you may have been about to say this, but one of the interactions you can do is because the Ronin can kill themselves is they, after they've went to a point, you can set up another model that's the closest model to them and they kill themselves and the ball gets passed to the model that's on the point that you want. Precisely. You are correct. There's some sneaky, sneaky synergies there. Plus, you can just kill all the enemy guys, um, which is always helpful. But uh, let, let's go to Josh, because I know Josh has also got a lot of outcast experience. Uh, agreement on, on the Vix, because, yes, if, if there are no, no one on the other side to carry the ball, it's a lot easier to win. And the distance you need to traverse, if you're, say, going for the two uh, stones that, that lay line points that are on your side of the board in like standard deployment is a pretty substantial distance, and the the Vix have a lot of ways to to minimize the actual AP spent uh, getting from point A to point B, so you can do other stuff in the process. That five inches of free move is really just uh, a huge benefit because you can get to the lay line point and attack, get to the lay line point and interact. Uh, but if you want to talk about crews that are just a pain to deal with, uh, Jackdaw, who has both mobility, and you really just never want to be next to a Jackdaw crew. It is the worst place to be inside all of the auras and uh, assorted nastiness that Jackdaw is putting around. And as Herman mentioned, um, when talking about Neverborn, at some point, everyone starts converging towards that center ley line. Mean that's that's where Jackdaw is really going to shine. Yeah. So just the thing I was going to bring up is since yes. you were talking specifically about Ronin, what about them out of keyword, hiring into like Jackdaw or a different master? So I've done it. Um, actually, in the Vassal tournament we did with the Southeast folks this summer, um, I think for the Corrupted Ley Lines mission, I hired them out of keyword I hired one, I think, into Parker. Um, is maybe a slightly fringe pick. That particular tournament had some stipulations about having fixed your masters in advance. Um, but yeah, I, I will definitely hire a Ronin every now and then. I will say, if you haven't had a chance to play a fixed master tournament where... Uh, not necessarily that you're playing the same master every round, but that you have to pick five masters, and once you've used that master, you can't use it again. Uh, it's definitely a good experience. It will help you improve your Malifaux game dramatically. I'll also just say, while we're still on Outcasts, the my runner-up for this strategy is Parker. So Parker Barrows brings... Um, a lot of utility to this, similar to the VIX, but in a slightly different way. So unlike having all the free movement, although he himself can help push models around, the key thing that he can do is, on his gun attacks, allowing another friendly model to take the interact action means that you can have your own models passing that lodestone token, or the ball, if you will, outside of their activation so that opens up a lot of flexibility to be able to move up the board 
quickly and to move the lodestone. Additionally, with his whole crew having a lot of access to run and gun, it means that as you're rushing forward to get into position, you're still able to be taking shots at the enemy and dealing damage as you move up. So I think he is a, another great option in the outcast faction. You never find him to be kind of squishy, just being able to take out your your uh, um, ball carriers. I, I don't think he's that squishy. So Bandito's, it is true, Bandito's will go down pretty quickly if you focus on them. But because they're a ranged piece, they can try to stay on the fringes um, and hopefully stay out of melee engagement. Uh, but, you know, like I said, it's it kind of depends a bit about into who you're up against and also what the deployment setup is of how quickly you can get into position. I can handle the resers here. Um, the Lots of points that people have brought up so far have been about mobility, tar pitting, uh, and being able to get to the uh, necessary nodes at the right time. And I think Karai just really excels at all three of those points. You'll be hard-pressed to find a better tar pit crew in Resurrectionists, and possibly in the game, than a uh, Karai crew. Uh, you throw Jakuna up there into their midst, you throw... Uh, a curio up into their midst again and again and again. Uh, you can get her up into your opponent's deployment zone sometimes on turn one, uh, and that is a wonderful opportunity to disrupt their plans. Even if you can't necessarily kill their ball carrier, you can make it very difficult for them to get to the second stone by the next turn, so you start putting them in a very bad position. Meanwhile, Karai's crew just is replete with methods to move her own models around. Station have it. Uh, um, Jakuna has it in the form of lure, which can be used defensively uh, as well. Uh, Ba uh, has guide spirits that you need a mighty four to, to pull off, and a four with a mask trigger, and you get to turn that into a charge action, so you get to convert simple movement into an attack action as well. So it's a lot of really good action economy, a lot of easy ability to traverse the terrain, no matter what uh, terrain is on the board. Severe terrain, hazardous terrain, walls, psh, doesn't matter to a cry crew. So they can get to the place, they can make it very difficult for their, your opponent to move around the board, and uh, all while summoning more models to just accomplish other things around the board as your uh in that eventual slog in the center point to I'm gonna lay see claim to that middle marker. I'm going to and raise you a McMorning. And the reason why I want to say McMorning is, first, uh, you guys are right that middle point is uh, is one of those things that you want to avoid. But if McMorning's standing in that middle point, uh, nothing's going to live in that area. And his flesh constructs uh, are basically three AP models uh, that can move across the board really quickly. So anything that can uh, give itself fast automatically is an exceptional uh, model during uh, corrupted ley lines. So uh, I actually like McMorning into this. Uh, I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to be 
better than Karai, but if you don't have Karai or you just don't like her aesthetic, I think McMorning is a good secondary pick. I agree. Uh, he, he is solid. You can uh, use the Kantari to not necessarily move up the ball carrier, but move up your other support models, or put a uh, model the ball par- carrier can pass the stone off to in the right position while still maintaining a very high degree of offensive capability. All right. Uh, so moving on, we already mentioned Daw. So uh, Daw was also the runner-up in Resurrectionists, uh, but we already talked about Daw during the Outcasts, uh, that Jakuna is an all-star uh, for Resurrectionists and Outcasts during Corrupted Ley Lines. Uh, moving on to Ten Thunders. We've already mentioned McCabe during Explorer Society and his ability to get across the board and the Hucksters, uh, and he's got some more loving coming his way that you guys can look out for in the future. Uh, but we'll turn it over to Owen so he can give us his thoughts on Asami. So yeah, so my first pick was McCabe, um, but since we already covered McCabe a lot, um, we'll go to Asami. I will, I will caveat this also, just for the listeners, that... While I have dabbled in Ten Thunders, I have primarily played Misaki, McCabe, and Asami. So, surprise, surprise, you may see those listed on a bunch of these uh, strategies. However, why why do I think Asami has some cool tech into this particular mission? Um, so, it's, it's actually similar to the Ronin trick that Jeff mentioned. And that is that the summoned models with Flicker when they they have the ability to control when they die. So what that means is you have the ability to both summon models in to be in the correct spots on the board and then cause other models, potentially the lodestone carrier, to have a crazy turn doing attacks and then kill themselves, which then automatically can pass that lodestone to another model who's already in position to either be at one of the markers or move to the marker on their turn. So her ability to put models into play at exactly the places and times that she needs it creates a lot of really next level plays that you can do into the strategy. Wait, so you're telling me that your strategy is not uh, deploy two samurai from the shadows and stick them right outside the deployment zone and just blow everything away? I am not saying that, correct. Although that is an obnoxious play, I think there's a lot more interesting plays to be had. All right. Uh, Unless anybody else has something, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to tackle symbols of authority. So come on back, everybody. I'd like to give a shout out to our Patreons. You don't have any of those either. Well, shit. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're now going to talk about Symbols of Authority. Uh, this is a resurrected strat uh, that came from a previous edition. I liked it then, and I like it now, but what are your guys' thoughts about it? Herman? So unlike everyone else on this podcast, who incorrectly said Corrupted Ley Lines was the favorite, Symbols of Authority is actually the real favorite of all the strategies. And that's because it's a combination of, it forces both crews to cross the table. That means you're going to be interacting with your opponent. You're not just kind of sitting there ignoring them. But also, it's not a killing one. 
So you have options of you certainly can engage, you can remove models, but you don't have to. So it opens up a wide variety of play styles. And a note to all the tournament organizers out there, if you want to brutally punish people for not playing the fastest cruise possible, just pick corner uh, symbols of authority. It'll be just an exquisite... It's a chef's kiss of if you're not fast enough, you just will never score the strategy. You actually bring up a really good point, Josh. I think in general, uh, tournament organizers, uh, look, we love everything that you guys do, but there needs to be some thought put into your strats and schemes. And if you need help, reach out to any other henchmen. Uh, they can you know, help you out with, with these, this type of stuff. But like as an example, if you want fighting to happen right off the bat, flank with symbols of authority is going to get you there. But uh, it's probably a more reasonable assumption to do corner uh, because it balances those fast crews uh and you know it gives the shooting crews a little bit more of a chance but uh these are things that you need to realize when you're a tournament organizer and kind of delve into different areas so not to too shamelessly plug uh my own content but i'm actually in the process of publishing an article specifically about as a tournament organizer, how do you balance your missions so that you have a good mix of strategies and schemes? So look for that, um, well, depending on when this podcast airs, either coming soon or recently published on the Third Floor Wars website. So I've got a whole guide of things to look for, things to consider, how to design missions that are interactive. Uh, so check that out, preview for the future or the present or the past. Uh, since Owen went ahead and shamelessly plugged his thing, I want to go ahead and give him the shame. Like, shame. 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 <laughs> yeah, all right, that's fair. That's fair. But I, I'm with Herman, though. Symbols of authority. I, I know I said I also liked Corrupted Ley Lines, but Symbols of authority also is fantastic. I loved it in second edition. You don't I'm get so to change your back. vote. It's not a change. I, I'm loving all strategies. Equ- well, these two strategies equally. The other ones less so. But you're like the worst parent ever. <laughs> I love half of my children equally. All right. Well, now that this has gotten weird, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into our thoughts on Arcanists with symbols of authority. Uh, anybody want to take our first master opinion? I have played against this more than I have actually played it. Um, but both Mei Fang and Colette do a great job at Symbols of Authority. Uh, Mei Fang is just hyper-mobile. Uh, can get across the board very easily. Um, and also has a lot of forced movement capability to if to, to knock models out of position so that if they're trying to prevent you from interacting with the symbol, she can get them out of the way and then subsequently push up to it and interact with it to claim it. And Colette, uh, comparable mobility, a lot of uh, annoying blue magic style play to counter uh, your opponent's plans, whether they be scheme marker based or offensive capability based, uh, while still getting around the board and claiming the symbols with relative ease. Uh, and don't forget the, the crew wide don't mind me is a little bit of an annoyance. Ugh. 
uh, I have uh, played Ten Thunders, Mayfang, and the Symbols of Authority, and uh, I just want to say uh, she cheats uh, in, in that aspect, uh, pulling out the uh, Katashiro and having them fly across the board and things like that is just not fair. Um, so I'm sure Owen will talk more about that when we get to down to 10 thunders, but, uh, moving to Explorer Society, the, uh, best master for Explorer Society cannot be mentioned. He who shall not be named. Uh, so we're going to skip over that and go straight into Bayou. So it is a uh, he. Uh, I have said too much and will not talk anymore. Um, but yes, Bayou, uh, we're going to combine Bayou, the beginning of Bayou and Neverborn together uh, because the best master, in my opinion, hands down for both of them, is Zareda. Uh, mostly because Solords are just outstanding. And Symbols of Authority, if you can leap, if you can do any form of a place, it is uh, outstanding. It is, especially if it's a bonus action, that placement can help you wonders, particularly if Unless your opponent brings two-inch reach models, you can place on other sides of markers where people can't reach you, and it makes things really difficult to stop. So between that and Zoraida being able to obey your models to go backwards to keep them away from your symbols, um, it, it, I think she is actually the best master hands down across all of the factions for symbols of authority, and I will die on that grave. Um, I've had games where uh, I had a rider that was shooting across the, the board. It was the, uh, the dead rider uh, from Resurrect. No, yeah, with the Resurrectionist rider uh, coming across the board in order to do his rider shenanigans. And I just double made him walk back into his deployment zone. And he wasn't a problem until turn four after that. So uh, just Zoraida is amazing. And it's one of my favorite masters in the game. Uh, Harmon, your thoughts? On Bayou or on Neverborn? Yes. <laughs> yes. Neverborn? Uh. <laughs> well, I think you can take your opinion of Zoraida and grab a shovel and dig your own grave. Because it's quite clearly Dreamer for Neverborn. Uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and question that one, but go ahead and ex- explain that one. So first of all, Dreamer in and of himself is already a very powerful master with a lot of manipulation. But the other thing is that when you start building his crew around Lucid Dreams, you're also encouraged to take a large amount of models and a large amount of models already helps you in Symbols of Authority. And then you get around to his summoning. His summoning functions around popping his own models out, engaging your opponent. So not only is he slowing them down, but if you go through and you summon off an Insidious Madness, you can plop that guy down, push him with Scatter, and then grab the marker yourself. So you have the options of both going, removing your opponent, jamming them up, and scoring by getting your own guys across the table safely. Okay, but do you have a voodoo doll? You know what? If if you're that convinced on her, I can bring her into Dreamer Crew. She can come work for me. That is true. Zoraida is one of the better secondary masters to bring into any Neverborn crew. Yeah, I'm I not mean, a big fan of sec. Actually, I think our entire Capital City crew are not big fans of the secondary masters uh, in general. I hate it, but if you're going to make it legal, I will do it. It's funny because the other... A common secondary master in Neverborn is Dreamer, so you could have it either way. Don't give Jeff that out. He doesn't deserve it. So I'll just say for the record, I, I'm not opposed to second masters as a concept, like from a oh, they shouldn't exist or they're bad for the game. I just, I personally struggle to find situations where 16 stones for that model is better than 
two other eight stone models or potentially three other models. Like they, that's why you bring Dreamer. He's only twelve. It works with Zareda because she brings six AP worth of uh, actions, so she's effectively already kind of doubling down on that. And then the Dreamer is cheaper, and when he summons in, it kind of cancels out. Exactly what those two guys said. The the big drawback is losing out on model count, and Dreamer and Zoraida compensate for that in their own special ways. Wait, seriously? The Dreamer is twelve. What? I jumping. You can Don't take worry away, about that. Don't worry about that. You can take away my uh, my Malifo card, but holy crap! I did not realize that. No one does because every other master is fifteen. Well, he's also only what he only has like what seven life. So leave the kid alone, okay? Leave the kid alone. Incorporeal and protected. You don't need seven life if nothing can hit you, and when it does, it doesn't matter. You're not bringing. Uh, you know what? We're getting wildly off topic here. So let's move away from Neverborn uh, and go there into. There was uh, one honorable mention I wanted to say real quick. Go ahead. So if you do want to play on hard mode and take in Euripides, uh, obviously he struggles a lot to get across the table to actually score. But the Gigant is kind of a special case where you can use cave drawings to actually protect your own markers from eight inches away. So you have kind of the Gigant parked to engage on one marker. You've got cave drawings with an ice pillar to prevent interactions from a second marker. And then he himself has Shattering Shove, which you throw an ice pillar down across the table. He'll teleport your own models to that. So it's kind of it's definitely hard mode. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but if you would kind of want to go that route and challenge yourself, he's a really good special take in this situation. With that handsome face, it can't be that hard for him to score. But um, bumch. I think I just vomited a little. Good. <laughs> All right. So moving on, Herman, uh, if you want to follow up with Guild. Uh, so Guild is actually going to be my favorite of all the Guild Masters, which will be Nelly. With the punchable face. She does actually have a very punchable face. It's, it's unfortunate. So she does, again, a little bit of offense and a little bit of defense, where her crew in and of themselves, they have a lot of pushing. You can generate the scheme markers. You can push off of those. So you have a lot of the ability to get across the table, get unengaged. But the other thing that she'll bring is uh, she in her of herself has Don't Mind Me, so you can't stop her from scoring no matter what. But then also they have exclusive interview on several of their models, so if you or your opponent is careless or you're able to push them, you can actually have your opponent score for you, which is really convenient for you and really annoying for your opponent. I just want to point this out. Uh, anyone that's not familiar with podcasts right now, we're kind of uh, typing in a chat, and Owen is still losing his stuff over Dreamer being only 12 soul stones. I don't, how did you not know that? I took him with Lucius as a second to make Insidious Madnesses. I think I tried to block that out. You've played against it. It was glorious. Because no one likes having distraction with Insidious Madnesses. So moving on to Outcasts, uh, this is actually kind of funny because we have both Owen and I. Uh, we we I dabble in Outcasts. It's his main. Uh, we recently actually had a tournament uh, where we both played Terra versus Terra in Symbols of Authority. Uh, my personal take on Terra in this is, uh, as before, anything with a place or a leap is phenomenal, and the fact that Terra can do it twice per turn just makes it that much better. Uh, she herself can just complete the symbols just on her own. Uh, the crew that she brings doesn't matter in this case. Uh, she When she summons things, they come in uh, buried, and then they come out wherever you need them to. So she can be completely across the board and still 
uh, interact with things in the board, but jumping around and picking up the uh, the symbols is just one thing that she's made for. Uh, Owen, your thoughts? I 100% agree. I mean, the fact that we mirror matched Terra versus Terra on this strategy, I think, speaks for itself. Um, that that actually was really interesting because doing the mirror, you had to figure out, okay, what do you bring? I ended up going way out of keyword for it. Um, but I think she she definitely still has play. I know there's some folks out there who are like, oh, Terra's no good now in this it, in this uh, season of gaining grounds. Okay, you leave Cody alone, sir. You leave Cody yeah. alone. But uh, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, but I, I think she still has a ton of play. However, the other master and outcast that I'll also give a shout out to is Zip. Um, for similar reasons to Terra, and it's really the mobility. Like he can, he can move across the board extremely quickly. His crew has a lot of models with access to things like Fly With Me or Flight, um, and they can really close with the enemy's position and try to uh, flip those markers. And then Outcasts also have access to Don't Mind Me on any model that they have if they take the emissary. So you can give don't mind me to things like the midnight stalker or to uh, Tara herself or to various models who can then remove those markers, regardless of what kind of defenses the enemy is trying to put up. Yeah. But I highly suggest you proxy that model because an old man on a donkey is not fun to play. Okay, that was apparently a horrible joke. Thanks for the laughter, guys. Um, You're correct. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, moving on uh, to Resurrectionists, I see two masters that we have listed on here, and I agree with both of them. I'm not sure who put them on, so I'm going to let Josh go ahead. That, I would be the one who put them on there. Uh, so if I had to pick three of people's least favorite words when dealing with uh, Resurrectionists, it would be by your side. The ability found on Molly and Von Stoke's minions to just teleport them across the board to any in-keyword model, non-minion model uh, in the game. So you can have your Kruligan or your undergraduate in your deployment zone uh, and have your uh, henchman or enforcer on the other side of the board and you can just instantaneously teleport them for the cost of a card. And in Von Stuck, the undergrads get a free attack when you do that. So you get to attack something in addition to teleporting across the board to the the symbol marker and potentially picking it up depending on what's around or what survives um, after you swing on them. So just the unparalleled mobility for such a, li- a low cost makes them just spectacular in symbols of authority. It's the same deal as uh, the, the other place effects, only... Uh, more offensive in many cases. I'm going to jump in here, and my pick for this was also Von Stuck for a different reason. Uh, I love Necropunks. I think Necropunks are one of the better models in the game, and when Symbols of Authority is in there, uh, I will take Von Stuck, and I will put, what is it, Grave Spirits Touch that gives them terrifying, uh, and they're almost unstoppable, and I just, th- that leap uh, is amazing, and they are a very defensive model. So uh, that's my pick for Von Stuck. Uh, I know people love those undergraduates, but I, I love the Necropunks. Yeah, no no disagreement there. Uh, 
Von Stuck is just not lacking for high quality scheme running options, and that's what you need for Symbols of Authority. And I think you already did. You already go over Molly. Uh, Molly is basically the by your side on Kruligans. There are four stones, good wounds, decent damage spread. Uh, can do double duty whenever they buy your side. They can also remove enemy scheme markers. Uh, so they bring a lot, again, action economy uh, and mobility to the table. Uh, and Molly has a really easy time getting around the cost of the card draw by just lost knowledgeing uh, away markers that are on the board. I'm also a fan of, uh, I've seen Night Terrors used to extreme success, uh, where, you know, the concealment that they give is just awesome to begin with, but their movement is one of the best in the game. Uh, and I've seen some players set up Molly to where uh, the move, like they force those movement interactions that the, uh, the Night Terrors are doing to where they get across the, the board, they can literally across the entire board in one turn. So uh, don't, don't sleep on the Night Terrors. <laughs> That's a joke. Anyway. <laughs> Alright, so moving on to Ten Thunders. Jake. Moving on to literally anything else. Yeah, so Ten Thunders. Um, so I mentioned at the top that I played a Masaki the most of all the Ten Thunders Masters. That's partially because she's the first Master I started with in 2nd Edition. Um, even when she was bad for most of 2nd edition. Uh, but in 3rd edition and in Gaining Grounds Season 1, I think she has a lot of play, especially into this strategy. So it's a similar theme to a lot of the other folks we mentioned, and that's mobility. Masaki brings the ability to herself place all over the board very quickly. She herself is often best used in this strategy just being a scheme runner because she has the ability to quickly cross the board, jump from place to place, remove those markers. Um, and she also has models like the Torakage who have a really fast movement and the ability to teleport off of her shadow markers that can really get into position to quickly deal with those markers um i would say also maybe two possible runner-ups here either mccabe for the mobility and access to fast uh and then maybe yan lo for the ability to do some teleports um models like manos are really good into this with the leap uh so yan lo can bring some tricks to the table for this strategy as well Oh, come on. You, you know the best person to bring in a, uh, Ten Thunders, Symbols of Authority, is, what's her name, um, the, summons the Katashiro. Oh, Minako Ray. Well, she's keyword Misaki, so... Yeah, yeah. so know. the uh, the Katashiro are just insanely good, uh, floating around, picking up things, floating around, killing you. They're just really good. Did you get a paper cut recently or something? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes, I did just play uh, Owen recently with Katashiro, and yeah, they that's literally symbols of authority. They were jumping around, picking up markers. Yes, shout out to Manos being the one of the best masters to bring into symbols of authorities as well. It says a lot that you call him a master. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first. Josh doesn't nerf Manos. Again. <laughs> they nerfed him once, and he's still spectacular. Uh, yeah, he is... A extremely common out of keyword pick 
anytime you need schemes run or things done at a distance. All right. And on that note, I think we're going to go ahead and head to a break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to go ahead and recover uh, evidence and talk about all of the fun things that have to do with that strat. Okay, well, since I guess we don't have any sponsors, enjoy the nice, soothing sound of Orca Whales. Welcome back. Uh, We're going to go ahead and jump into Recover Evidence here uh, and go over our general thoughts and uh, how we like to play in Recover Evidence. So I'm going to push it over to Owen first. Oh, way to put me on the spot there with the mute button. Um, All right, so Recover Evidence, right? This is a... This is a strategy that, at first glance, I feel like folks might be thinking, oh, this requires a lot of interaction. But actually, it's a strategy all about killing things. Um, In a lot of ways, it's a successor to Headhunter from 2nd Edition, for anyone out there, where in 2nd Edition, it was that any model that got killed would drop a head marker, and you would have to go pick it up. In the current edition, it's that five specific models are given uh, the token, which then causes uh, you to drop a strategy marker that you have to pick up. So what that means is you have to not only kill things, but also be able to either get to the markers or to do things like luring or obeying the enemy to come close to you before you kill them so that you can pick up those markers. So I think that adds an interesting nuance. Um, I would call this my third favorite of the schemes. We're kind of doing, or strategies rather, we're kind of doing these in order of my favorite. Um, so those are my thoughts. What do you all think? I, it, this recovery evidence always seems like once you get into the actual play during the game is reasonably basic. You go in, you kill a guy, you take an interact action, you score a point. Uh, fairly simple in that regard. Uh, the interesting part in Recover Evidence, I feel, is the actual selection of the models that you put the markers on. Now, assuming that your opponent's crew is large enough that you actually have a choice, you sort of have to balance out both what you think you can kill uh, while making sure your crew doesn't contain things that are easy to kill themselves. Like... I wouldn't play Karai into Recover Evidence uh, quite as casually because one of my big expensive models is a Curio, who is defense three and basically designed to die. So if I'm going to, if I'm for some reason forced to do that, I then have to think, how can I avoid them putting a uh, evidence marker on a Curio? And there's ways to get around that. You could just not take her and just summon her during the turn, but it's something you have to consider. But once you actually start the game, once the, the markers are placed, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, but your oh. mileage may vary depending on the crews you play. What about you, Jeff? So, uh, me personally, Recover Evidence, uh, I loved this strat in 2nd Edition, and I would always play Lucius into this. Uh, because most of his models had Don't Mind Me, so you'd be able to get them. I think 
what they needed to do with this uh, instead of having a secondary Achilles scheme, because this is very similar to Public Enemies. What I would have preferred is that in this strat, everybody gets an interact action where when you are in base contact with a model, you can do an interact with that model to force it to drop the recover evidence marker. And now you have to figure out how to pick that recover evidence marker up. I think that would have been a better counterplay. Like instead of just go kill a model and then pick the model up or pick the marker up. Now you have to leave the model alive, do an interact to make it drop a marker. Now figure it out. Like if you have, don't mind me, that makes things a lot easier and it makes more crews worthwhile. But, uh, in general, I, that's what I would have liked to have seen uh, out of this. But uh, maybe in the next Gaining Grounds, it could be revised to something along that line to make things less uh, like a secondary public enemies. Uh, Harmon, your thoughts? So I'd say this is by far my least favorite of them. Uh, I feel like it kind of encourages people to turtle up. And you make like two little balls of death that end up in this little standoff where neither one kind of really wants to approach each other. Which is, uh, actually Josh and I had played it uh month, month and a half ago, where he made a Yan Lo bubble and I was forced into Nekama because it was a keyword uh, restricted tournament. So I made a little Nekama bubble and we, we kind of sat there and stared at each other the entire time. And his bubble turns out was much better than mine. Um, to be fair, you and Josh stare at each other quite a bit. Virtually, virtually, social distancing. Yes, staring. So to me, it kind of it's a good thing to have for kind of the turtle playstyle masters and so i support that but i don't like the fact that i feel like it's actually very interactive or not interactive for people kind of the exact opposite of symbols okay well with that having been said and all of our feelings on recover evidence i actually it is not my most hated scheme i actually uh, dislike public enemies more but uh moving on uh let's talk about arcanists and i'll go ahead and start out with the arcanists here um Colette's the obvious pick. Everyone's going to tell you about Colette with her don't mind me crew and uh, and everything. But honestly, I think Sandeep is the strongest master in Arcanists. Uh, I think that he has just the wide range. He's basically the Von Stuck of Arcanists. He has such a wide range of tools that he can just reach into his tool belt for. Um, you can run in, have one of his big golems or anybody else kill something, and then his other models can obey things. He doesn't have to put himself at risk by bouncing off of stuff. If you decide that you're going to put a marker on one of his little golems, he can just summon more and make it in, or a little gammon. He can summon more and make it into a golem that's really hard to kill. Like Sandeep is just a good choice in general. Uh, when in doubt, if you're an Arcanist player, play Sandeep. He's really good. So I'm going to take a different point of view from you on that, and I would actually go back to Tony Ironsides, particularly because, again, she makes this strong bubble where it's hard to break that apart. Um, where you have all the models having plus flips, it's very difficult for your opponent to get in there and to crack that and start collecting their own tokens. At the same time, she's able to pull them out. She's able to pull them across the table with a very strong bring it stat seven. So she has the ability to collect the tokens. That's fair. I'll allow that. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on Arcanists? Nope. Okay. We all hate Arcanists just like Craig. Uh, moving on to Bayou, um, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone. We all agreed that Somer uh, is going to be your hands-down pick for Bayou, and that's just because he has so many freaking models that he can just kill you and pick up whatever you have. Um, <laughs> Somer is incredibly strong. Uh, he is a very, very good master. If you ha don't have Somer and you play Bayou, 
Uh, I'm not sure what you're doing right now, but uh, between that and his, oh, what are they called? The little minions that can obey things automatically. Uh, they have a built-in suit. I don't remember what their names are. Are those the Criers? Yep, that's them. Uh, you know, even if you don't manage to kill it on your first pass, you know, being obeyed to pick it up and then being obeyed or to kill it later and then another obey to pick it up. They're just, uh, some are very good. I think there's a generalizable lesson in this one that summoners are very strong and recover evidence because you can send in a model uh, to do your killing, to do your interacting without risk risking giving up a point if your opponent kills it. If they kill a summon model, well, it wasn't there at the start of the game. It couldn't have had an evidence token, so you're not going to score off of it. Uh, so they have this extra safety net on top of the, the normal consensus that summoner, summoning is a little bit above the curve. Uh, I, I agree. Herman, did you have something that uh, you want to interject with? I'll save it for the dreamer. Okay. Uh, Josh just gave an awesome segue. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and morph that into talking about Neverborn and Explorer Society. Uh, And the reason why I'm merging those together is because the next two masters have a very similar mechanic of uh, when they use an ability uh, that the model that they summon is placed in base contact with the model that they're hitting. So everybody knows Dreamer, uh, when you fail a willpower duel, uh, his summoned creatures go in base contact with it. If you haven't had a chance, head over to Weird's website and look up uh, one of the articles uh, for English Ivan. Uh, He has a very similar mechanic where if you fail a willpower duel, um, the willpower that you have, uh, he can summon a model uh, based on your opponent's willpower, and they're put into base contact with you. Uh, They're both very powerful. Uh, It's just being able to attack a model and get a model for free in base contact that can pick up a marker. It's an awesome ability. Uh, Herman? So I'd love to ironically disagree with both of you, but it just kind of knocked it out of the park. It's you can take the tanky parts of the master as part of your crew, and then you can summon in the chaff both to speed bump your opponent, to weaken them, and then to ultimately kill and collect. And you're doing that from a nice distance because, you know, the Dreamer has his 8-inch gun, or you take a different willpower check that's maybe a little bit safer. But it's fantastic. Uh, The Dreamer also has Serena Bowman in keyword. She is one of the hardest-to-kill models probably in Neverborn with disguised good stats and the demise ability. Um, So it's just a really fantastic take for this. It's funny, because she doesn't actually have hard to kill. No, she has better. She has come back to life. That joke was, like, the worst ever. You have zero place to talk. That's true. Uh, So that we don't have to hear Herman uh, talk consecutively, we're going to go ahead and jump into Outcasts, uh, and we can listen to Owen. I'm glad you added consecutively to that. Unless right. Owen's not paying attention, and then uh, go go ahead and talk about Guild Nelly, Herman. No, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Um, so for recover evidence, I like to go with Leviticus. So Leviticus is one of my favorite masters and outcasts. He's very good at killing things, which is the first half of this strategy. Um, in fact, he's so good at killing things that. It's not that hard to go pick up the markers when all your opponent's stuff is dead. So 
I think that's that's really how you're going to play it if you're playing this strategy with with Levy. He's going to nerf Leviticus. He's going to be able to kill stuff. Uh, he has a lot of ways to either be fast uh, to again take that don't mind me with the emissary uh, on something like ashes and dust uh, or you can teleport with scavengers that give a lot of ways to move up to grab uh, to grab those markers but then on the flip side of this equation his crew can take a lot of damage so as goodness don't nerf don't nerf him he's not he's already been nerfed with alice um a lot of his crew has demise abilities, which can help deny the strategy. So he has that perfect combination of both killing the enemy and also being hard to kill in return. Uh, that I think he's really strong here. Uh, my second pick, I think we'd have to go with Parker. Um, again, because Parker can bring killing power in the form of himself, in the form of Mad Dog, in the form of Sue. So he's got a lot of ranged killing potential. And then Parker's ability to allow for other models to do out-of-activation interacts can help you move other models up to those strategy markers and pick them up uh, at convenient times. Thanks, Owen. Uh, Herman, did you have any thoughts on nerfing Leviticus? I think it's fair to say that he should be nerfed. Josh, did you have any thoughts on nerfing Leviticus? Uh, let me say, from a professional standpoint, as a doctor, all y'all Leviticus haters are wrong. Leviticus is strong, but you know the thing that he's killing during that entire time of killing your crew is himself. So, you know, if you can't capitalize on that to, to take him out in a reasonable fashion, I feel as though that's on you. Yeah, it is true. Behind every strong Leviticus are two overworked women. Three, if you count Alice. Three. Yeah, Alice. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, so moving on from uh, he who shall be nerfed, um, let's go talk about Guild Hoffman there, Herman. Yeah, it was definitely not Nelly earlier. Yeah, I got so, lost in my, my document, sorry. No, it's okay. All the Guild models are the same anyway. So Hoffman is basically... except, except the guild hounds. <laughs> Everyone needs guild hounds in their life, but only if you summon them. They're good dogs, Herman. Just to give everybody a background, we thought about naming our podcast the the Hounds of Malifaux because every hound model in the game is trash. But uh, we decided to go with the Capital City uh, crew. So it, it kills me with the guild ones because when you summon them, it's two turns before they do anything. <laughs> That's because they're good boys and they sit next to their master. They're worse as summons. Like they're just so bad. Can can I can I point out we've already seen uh, the uh, um, oh, what are they the two hounds for what's his face from the podcast uh, on Third Floor Wars? Um, Cooper? Lord Cooper. Uh, one of them has by your side. Can we give every hound in the game by your side because they're good boys? I like it. I, I would also that. like a return to the second edition upgrade for Nyx to let him hire any hound and just have an all dogs list. Uh, it would not be good. Ooh, let the dogs but, out. But it would be delightfully lulzy. It would certainly be filled with dogs, and that's that's already kind of winning. Not in like a game mechanical sense, but 
in a moral sense. Wait, how is Nick's moral victory? That is... No. Just don't think too hard about it. That is the most messed up story in Malifaux. I stay by your side because you look like my master, even though you beat me. Oh, that took a dark turn. <laughs> yeah. Let's wow. let's go ahead and jump back over to Hoffman there, Herman. Have fun editing that one out. <laughs> so as we discussed previously, Hoffman is basically bald Nelly. And the reason why you're going to want him and recover evidence is, again, you're looking for that, that little murder ball where they all stick together. They're very, very hard to kill. You've got a lot of armor, a lot of shielded in Hoffman. But you also have just a brutal, brutal amount of killing power with um, Howard Langston. You've got Joss, who's really fantastic. And then the side hire that everyone in Guild should know about is Fiona. Fiona is like the most durable, the most aggravating model in the world for your opponent. Where she can't be moved, she has armor too, she's going to have positives on every duel, and then she has the ability to take a hit for another model. So... It makes just this beautiful murder ball. Uh, she also has bring it herself, so she can isolate an opponent's model, bring him in, and then you kill it with one of your other guys, you kill it with her. So for my money, it's going to be Hoffman. Hoffman is also one of the only masters in the game who can, uh, well, he is the only master in the game, who can have armor stand up to Leviticus. Uh, and it's fun having Levy do one point of damage each attack, although most Levy players won't attack that model. That's true. He can also make it so your armor cannot be ignored. Which I feel like, once they nerf Leviticus, will be nice and fair. Okay, well, since we've all agreed we're going to be nerfing Leviticus, let's move on to uh, Resurrectionists, Josh. So, again, we're, we're looking for a combination of killing power and mobility. Uh, and so Von Stuck fits the bill really well in this. You can have some of his bigger beaters. You can have the Valedictorian with fast and focused and and four AP worth of attacks go in and uh, take out the uh, people holding the evidence markers and then just have a uh, either a leaping necropunk or a biociding undergraduate teleport in, place in, and pick up the marker. Uh, so you have really good action economy, uh, a good solid plan to both kill the opponent and pick up the marker. Uh, so it is a uh, very solid uh, uh, master for recover evidence. Uh, but the other one that really excels uh, is Yan Lo, because Yan Lo's crew is just bricks. It is a, talk about a resilient ball of death. Uh, you can combine uh, Sun Quang's ability to place and heal models uh, with the Ashigaru's uh, take the hit and hard to kill. So that the Ashigaru takes a hit, uh, Sun Quang then places it next to him. So no matter how low that hit brought the uh, Ashigaru, it's now healed up to at least two wounds, uh, and uh, can go in for another round of defensive measures. You can use this trick to spread attacks out through your crew, so that no single model can be focus fired very effectively, as long as you have cards in your hand. That's really the limiting factor in it. This is all fueled by card uh, uh, cards discarded from your hand, and for that you can use the fact that Yan Lo is just a lethal beat stick late in the game to uh, give him the whisper to kill models, draw cards, use that to fuel your protective bubble, and it just makes it very hard for your opponent to take down any of your models. And if they can't take them down, they can't score. It is so aggravating to play against. 
at times like this, I like to think what a good old Jack Burton would say. And Jack Burton would definitely say, Nerf Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would actually have a different opinion uh, if he went up against... Oh, oh Okay. Uh, Herbert, I will say that I got that idea for that crew from the person who beat me the first round in that tournament. So, you know, I paid for the uh, that strategy in blood, so I don't feel so bad about it. That doesn't help at all. Yeah, as someone who spent a lot of games attempting to kill any model at all in the Yan Lo crew, it's extremely durable and good. Uh, and it's actually one of my picks for this strategy in 10 Thunders. Do you guys just not feel like bringing McMorning or Leviticus or, you know, anything with Precise? Because just kill them. So McMorning can do it, but he has, you can outrange him with Sun Quang because the place that you get from Sun Quang, it's uh, three inch aura plus uh, the 30 millimeter base, so you can just place stuff outside of uh, McMorning's reach in many cases. And for anyone that was wondering, uh, our later podcasts, you'll be able to hear us go more in depth on things like this. That's kind of a what you're going to be hearing is us going back and forth. We're going to do an episode on something like Yan Lo, where we go back and forth. They're like, hey, why don't we? you just bring this along to stop Yan Lo? And in this case, Josh or Owen would respond back and be like, well, you can't stop Yan Lo because, you know, he's looking for an Asian girl with green eyes. Uh, so, you know, whatever reason. <laughs> you can't stop Yan Lo because he's an unstoppable ball of death. But that is uh, that is for a later podcast. I am extremely upset that they didn't give uh, they didn't put that. Oh, what is that model that came with? Uh, oh, Algren, uh, Al- whatever his name is, Bill, Bill Algren. I am upset that they did not give him some form of lightning ability and make him part of the Yanlo crew. Me, me too. Me too. All right. Since we're talking about Asian girls with green eyes, let's go over to Ten Thunders and talk to Owen. Yeah, so, well, I think we've pretty well exhausted why Yanlo is strong into any strategy where you want to stay alive. Um, I'd say another model that's, or another master who's good into this strategy in 10 Thunders is McCabe. Uh, So McCabe brings that good combo of mobility as well as killing power. So McCabe and his crew, one of the few sources of precise... Uh, in the game. So precise, again, is the ability to ignore uh, armor, hard to kill, hard to wound, like all the defensive conditions. He has that on the sword that he can hand out to people. Um, so he has he and his crew have a lot of ways to get through enemy models. Um, and with his own personal mobility, plus the ability to move enemy models with his netgun attack, you can help pull enemies towards you so that you can kill them close to you. Um, so I would say he's he's definitely a strong pick into the strategy. I will say his secondary damage uh, also. Like you don't have to. This is a, a good thing to keep in mind with recover evidence. You do not have to kill a model. You only have to get that model down to uh, one life, and it drops the marker. So with his incidental damage of riding around and doing damage and being able to move models and things like that, uh, I agree. I think McCabe is a good, strong pick. Uh, 
And with that having been said, uh, Josh, did you have something? Oh, uh, I wanted to point out Yanlo has some of that going on too with his uh, aura Man, of hazardous terrain. I know, right? Start a fan club. God. He, he is the president. You didn't know that? But I'm also a client. I'm waiting for the theatrical release. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. Hazardous terrain, really bad. Uh, you have to think about the resilient beat sticks that you bring in when you're going up against Yanlo. I played against people who had the misfortune of trying to bring Hinamatsu against Yanlo and discovered that every single time they attack him, they take more damage than they do, and they just get extremely sad about this fact. Okay, uh, so that pretty much wraps up Recover Evidence. We're going to go ahead and move into another break, and uh, we'll see you afterwards. Nerf Leviticus. Okay, no, seriously. Craig, how exactly do we get sponsors for Patreon? All right, welcome back. Uh, I want to first start this section by saying uh, I apologize. Uh, I don't think that we necessarily need to nerf Leviticus. Uh, however, uh, if we could maybe adjust some of his crew a little bit, that'd be great. So <laughs> moving on, uh, we're going to talk about public enemies. And since I know Owen has opinions on Leviticus and public enemies, let's go over to him. All right, so uh, public enemies, the strategy that is just straight killing stuff. Um, I, I think it's an okay strategy to have available in the pool. Um, I don't think it's necessarily bad that there is a killing stuff, uh, strategy that is a big part of the game and having a mission that relies on that is, is fine. Um, I think it's slightly less interesting than the other strategies, um, and I think it's important that if you're going to be creating a mission with public enemies, you should pair it with other non-killy uh, schemes so that there's a little more variety, a little more Malifaux going on. You mean I can't just run in and kill everything and say I win? Yeah. That, I mean, that can be fun. If, But, yeah. If let's, you play Warhammer. Exactly. Let's let's have a little more nuance. Yeah, it's like recover evidence without the like interesting part. Uh, no, it's it's basically the as close you can get to not having a strategy at all and just relying on killing and your opponents as you get in Malifaux. And that's not that's not that desirable. I mean, people like to talk about how it's possible in Malifaux to be completely tabled and still win the game. And it's like not if recover public enemies is on the table. Uh, it's just as generic and uninteresting as the strategy gets right now. I mean, I think it fills a void where if you're trying to cover every single experience gap with all four of the strategies, public enemies is your entry level one. It's the one that's it's easy to explain. You can do it in one sentence, kill everybody, two words even. But it's not like, you know, you get recover evidence, you get symbols of authority, which are a lot more complicated. Really, all the other ones are a lot more complicated. So this is kind of the balancing end of that teeter-totter between your experience, you want something deeper, versus you're getting into the game, you have so much to learn, and you're looking for something that's a little shallow to start with. So for me, Public Enemies, um, it's my least favorite uh, because it's uh, all about killing, um, and I think that Malifaux is a more in-depth game from that. I agree with Owen. 
your schemes need to counterbalance public enemies. The only thing I like about public enemies is uh, that you strip off all of the bounty points. So uh, Leviticus can't be your soul killing uh, machine. You have to have something else uh, like Rusty Alice going around and helping you kill things uh, so that you don't just stack up and everything's gone. Uh, point um, of order, Leviticus is a soul killing machine. So Point of second order, as long as he kills the right models each turn, he can just table you himself anyway. That's true. Uh, and on the first turn, without even trying. Nerf Leviticus. All right. <laughs> so moving on, uh, I'm going to jump into my uh, my honorable mention here uh, with Arcanist before other people get into Tony and Mayfang. If your opponent, this is one of those things where you have to find out where your opponent's playing. If your opponent is not playing Resurrectionists or Ten Thunders, I think Colette is one of the best uh, Arcanist Masters into public enemies. And the reason why is because the Korofi Duet uh, can just do a massive amount of damage. It is an outstanding model. And by the time you get to go kill it because of the demise abilities, uh, it will only be worth, what, four uh, soul stones? So one bounty uh, for all of that model. Um, now, granted, any Arcanist can take it, but I think Colette's pretty good for that because she herself is safe. She can bury... Uh, as long as you're not playing against Guild, uh, and her crew is generally can stay so, safe for the most part. Uh, so I like Colette into this as long as you are not playing against uh, Lanterns. So, uh, Josh? Uh, yeah, it, this is the one that, that mixes it up a little bit because of how the bounty scoring works, but you'll, end up, you'll see throughout this list a lot of similarity between the recovery evidence list and some of the the variability comes from the fact that you've removed that extra scheme running portion of it uh, and replaced it with just trying to cheese out the exact right number of soul stones to uh, deny your opponents the ability to score because they didn't kill a large enough model and our uh, main points here were Tony, uh, if you have a chance, because uh, she just hits hard and she herself is kind of hard to kill uh, and her crew uh, is very hard to kill, along with Mei Fang, uh, because they're also uh, her crew is pretty outstanding at killing things uh, while being very difficult to kill. Obviously, if you're uh, going up against uh, crews that can take a lot of anti-armor, uh, your mileage may vary with these crews. Uh, I think that in general is one of the Arcanist's big weaknesses, is that uh, most of their defenses rely on armor. So the second somebody declares Arcanists, I know as a Neverborn player, my first thought is uh, take Dreamer. Um, if not, if Dreamer's not available, I'm at least going to be bringing Serena uh, to deny that armor. So those are things you got to look out for. Um, anybody else have any comments about Arcanists? Nope. All right, moving on to Somer. Uh, and Bayou. Uh, <laughs> is so, it really the rest of Bayou, or is it just Somer? So, Somer's hands down the best public enemies master because his stupid gremlins, uh, just like I mentioned with Colette and the uh, Korofi duet, his gremlins uh, devolve into smaller gremlins, and it doesn't matter how big they were to begin with. Now they're just a Bayou gremlin that's three soul stones, and nobody cares. So, uh, he, he can bring them back out. Uh, they're just Somer's just insanely good at this point. Oh, you know what? Nerf Somer. So, <laughs> uh, there, we there we go. There we go. Equal opportunity. 
Yep. Uh, I, I hold on. If we're going to do that, um, let's do Sandeep, Somer, Leviticus, uh, probably Zoraida, and all of Explorer Society. Good? Good. Karai escapes. Ha. Huh. Nervicario. <laughs> yeah, that's the actual answer. Yeah, all right. So. We're going to skip over Explorer Society because we can't talk about that master. Uh, if you were expecting us to, you are seeking the wrong thing. <laughs> and Guild, go ahead, Herman. So, I mean, the number one choice is going to be Hoffman for literally exactly the same reason as Recover Evidence. You're tanky and you can kill things. It's not... The two are very similar in that regards. It's just Public Enemies is a simpler version. However, if you want to kind of take a left turn at Albuquerque, uh, one thing I have had a lot of luck with is actually with the Marshall keyword. And they're considered kind of a weaker keyword, but here you have a combination of hard to wound, you've got hard to kill on some models, you've got unnatural vigor for a little bit of healing. The Domidors are actually fantastic at healing. The Pale Rider is another good model to kind of bring in because his bonus action heals models. A lot of healing going on in this crew. But also you have this fun little thing where you can take like a Death Marshal Recruiter and a couple Exorcists. As they die, he can then turn them into some Death Marshals now they go back to two wounds and they have hard to kill. So now it's going to take yet another two hits to even get your one kill off of that model. So it's just kind of a way of kind of cycling things. And as you have those replaces, that makes it that much harder for your opponent. I'm not going to disagree with you, but did you just really recommend uh, the guild's lesser version of Resurrectionists? Well, the fun part is, is you can take an expensive living model and make it into a cheaper... Um, or a death marshal, so you score less points off of it, too. I mean, I can see that, but at the same time, it's killed. Nobody likes them. That's just because they're the good guys. What fluff have you been reading? Um, I'm pretty sure they're the law and order people. I'm not sure that's a good guy thing. <laughs> Although you can argue Perdita is, is not bad. Let's leave DC politics out of this. Yeah, one episode didn't take too long. Right? Uh, so we're Neverborn? Oh, we are on Neverborn. Um, you know, Herman's going to tell us and, why. Let's go Outcast and do uh, Nerf Leviticus uh, with Owen first. Oh, oh okay. All right, fine. So, <laughs> so, it's a good thing his uh, choice wasn't Leviticus. Or, well, <laughs> spoiler alert, it was Leviticus. Uh, he's really good at killing things, and if he can just just kill things and not do anything else, he's even better. Um, I would say other other potential picks here, um, I think there's some interesting plays maybe with Jack Daw, with making things that are hard to kill um, and, and being able to kill the enemy's models. Um... You could maybe make an argument for Von Schill, again, being somewhat tanky, having access to two models that... Holy crap, can, he's still in the game? He, he is. You can you can shoot things at range. He's got a, a lot of access to things like healing and armor and uh, support for your own crew. But, I mean, I think all those would mostly, in my book, be, I'm tired of playing Leviticus, so I'm going to play someone else. Until his uh, shirt comes X. off, he does not exist. Oh, man, I miss that ability. That was the best. I miss the ability uh, to put it back on, sir. <laughs> right? Yeah. Good old Von Kill. And they were really leaning uh, into 
Hulkmaster. Uh, yeah. Von but, uh, who, so Jeff or, or or Josh, who would you pick as your number two choice in Outcast for this? Jack Dawes, strong contender. Uh, the tar pit ability that he can bring to bear. Uh, uh, Jack himself is very difficult to take down. Uh, it takes a lot of AP to do that, and in a in a game where you need to kill a certain number of models each turn, you just can't reasonably invest that into Jackdaw. So we can uh, either waste your opponent's APs as they try to kill him, or uh, they ignore him and just have this incredibly annoying, incredibly dangerous model that's just running rampant around the board. Uh, oh, uh, so my pick would actually, and this is going to be an odd one, uh, it would be Terra. Um, and the reason why is I think that uh, if something gets low, you can bury it and heal it back up. And just the the general, her models are pretty good at sticking around and staying alive or being out of the way. Um, one of the people I would not have suggested would be uh, Hamlin. Um, because Hamlin's crew is kind of uh that's uh, owen's typing right now and said i thought you would say hamlin <laughs> like no hamlin is horrible for public enemies uh his crew is basically designed to die and in some cases he kills them himself so uh do not play hamlin in public enemies it's a bad idea 100 percent agree yeah, with that. yes i understand rats are insignificant but the rat king usually gets killed like that's uh you make them into bigger things and that just gives them uh more of an ability you know what we can talk about all this when we get into the hamlin episode i am looking forward to that one uh because i do think hamlin has play in certain things uh i think he has some play into uh symbols and recover evidence uh but i public enemies i don't think are going to be one of them um i think my favorite part of all this is that owen was typing and you were arguing with him on audio so it's just you I talking mean, to yourself? That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> We're new to this whole podcasting thing. That's true. Inaugural episode. There you go. It's like I get the secret half of an argument. Right? We have so we have Neverborn, Red Rezzers, and Ten Thunder Slap. Yep, let's go jump into Rezzers uh, with the uh, old man. Yep. Uh, as I said before, Public Enemy is just being a stripped-down version of Recover Evidence. You get a lot of overlap. Uh, Yan Lo remains incredibly strong for this, for his survivability, his killing power, his uh, most vexing of beard. Uh, all of those things make him great for, for Public Enemies. Um, there's good play for some of the other Masters, some of the resilient killing Masters. Uh, McMorning can do well in this. The issue with McMorning is that most of his survivability comes in the form of uh, end of turn or on activation healing. Uh, and his crew is vulnerable to min 3. Uh, anything as a week of 3 is does a solid number on resurrectionists in general because they're typically easy to hit and rely on wound count and hard to wound to survive. It's um, not just that, but uh, there are uh, masters, like as an example, that will use his conditions against him. But uh, uh, the big one is uh, Von Stuck going against uh, McMorning um, and just doing a massive amount of damage from the, the built-up poison on them. It's it's a liability for you, his crew. You just don't play uh, McMorning into a 
uh, Rezzer match because the potential consequence of going up against Von Stuck and just getting nuked off the board with that is pretty high. You can play a lower poison version of McMorning, uh, but yeah, his his baseline crew features are, become a liability when you're going up against uh, Von Stuck. But Von Stuck, Yanlo, really great in this McMorning, depending on uh, what the matchup is expected to be. If you're not expecting you up against a lot of min three, uh, McMoyling does a really solid job. Okay. Um, I'm going to interrupt the Yanlo love fest and throw Titania in here with Neverborn. Um, the name of the game with public enemies is straight up. Can you kill things and can you stay alive while doing it? And that's the epitome of what Titania does. Um, she is very good at uh, running over opponents, getting them tar pitted down, uh, killing them, and she can pick up the, the markers afterwards. But her crew is very hardy. They're very hard to take down uh, between hard to wound and armor. Anyone that's ever faced uh, anything that has hard to wound and armor knows it's a pain in the butt to get through. You make uh, morning. And, yep, make morning, necropunks, things along that line. Uh, so I, my big uh, throw in for this is Titania. I think uh, you could also play a little bit into uh, Nakima with her. Uh, you're going to have to be careful with this, but her uh, go and kill things very quickly. You're kind of playing a more Leviticus style where you're wiping the board uh, with Nakima, but uh, that's not my play style. Herman? I would be hesitant on Nakima just because, unlike Leviticus, she doesn't have a lot of uh, tankiness built in. They're actually fairly squishy models that are easy to take down. But I definitely second Titania. And one of the things I kind of like about Neverborn into this is that a lot of this from Recover Evidence to Public Enemies has been copy-paste. But this is a, a change where previously we were talking about how Dreamer and he's going to go grab all the evidence. Now we're talking about Titania because the Dreamer isn't nearly as sturdy as she is. But in and of herself, she's an incredibly well-rounded master. She prevents severe damage spikes, which can be a beautiful thing to not have to deal with. Uh, that's a fantastic ability. But also, again, we were talking earlier about replacing models, uh, recycling them. Killjoy is an excellent take because he doesn't die. He just buries, and he'll come back again and again and again. And so it's a way of denying your opponent points while still applying a lot of pressure on them. I want to throw this out there. Uh, we'll get into this when we finally do a Titania podcast later. But uh, Titania herself can take Killjoy's upgrade. When, so when she moves a marker, she can take damage from it and make that marker into hazardous. And it gives her kind of a little bit of a buffer of uh, you want to come in on Titania, you're going to be taking loads of damage because she's very hard to kill. And you're going to be swinging at her a lot unless you get her lucky with a red joker or something. So a um, little trick and tidbit there there's more coming when we get to the individual masters but uh titania is a very good master in neverborn uh she's not top of the pack but she is definitely a good master to have in your arsenal um moving on to 10 back to 10 thunders uh let's shoot back over to owen yeah so i mean it's not super surprising that you get seen this a similar story to recover evidence i think yanlo is strong here uh, primarily from the survivability. Like I played against a Yan Lo list um, that had a mix of like Sun Quang and Ashigarus and like basically the crew could never die. Like everything was passing damage to other models and then healing and it, it was just bananas. Um, 
and then you combine that with Yanlo himself can just power up and kill things. Uh, it's a really strong combo there. Um, I will say, I suspect there are other masters in Ten Thunders who are strong into this, um, but this is where my lack of experience with the whole range of masters, I think, um, is, is maybe holding me back a little bit. So, um, but yeah, let's let's pass that over to Josh. What do you? What are your thoughts? So, yep, Yan Lo definitely top of the pack. Uh, Mei Fang also makes a a strong showing in this one, uh, and similar reasons to uh, to why she was there for Arcanists. Uh, but you can add additional defensive features onto her because she is a melee centric crew. Uh, and if you can't get your scrap markers in the exact right positions, you uh, you may have a little bit of difficulty getting up. And the Ten Thunders upgrades can help mitigate that on on models that you don't want to get picked off if you know you're going up against a really range heavy uh, crew or one that can uh, deny you the marker placement for a variety of different reasons, be it like Molly just eating them. Uh, so. You can bring her there and buff her, the crew with the Ten Thunders upgrades uh, to sort of counteract some of the weaknesses that can be inherent to a melee-centric crew, which is something you don't get out of Arcanists in quite the same way, where you do get some buffs there, uh, but they're not quite as blanket. You can't target me as you can get out of the uh, uh, Ten Thunders upgrades. And did somebody mention nerfing Shenlong? Is it weird that I haven't played against him? That is kind of weird. Uh, Shenlong was all the rage before he got his small nerf, but uh, Shenlong himself is uh, his keyword is very good at a couple of things, and one of those things is uh, basically denying. Like they're very good at avoiding damage uh, because of the chi mechanic. If you can master that chi mechanic, you are going to be doing great with, uh, with Shenlong. He can play into a lot of things because, uh, just being able, like most of your models are going to be like stat fives, but with the chi mechanic, now they're essentially stat seven and that's really difficult to get through. So, uh, that chi mechanic is great. Uh, we all know that Shenlong's good at killing things. His crew is pretty good at killing things. His uh, the Thunder Archers uh, taking out ski markers are great. So uh, in general, I like Shenlong uh, into this. I don't uh, don't know if you guys had any opinions on him. Every single time I've run into chi, it's just been that little bit of extra annoyance making you miss when you thought you could hit. It's uh, a very vexing ability. Um, particularly if your opponent is not expecting it. They will cheat to tie, or they'll cheat to beat you by a small amount because they don't want to waste a good card, and you can just cheat your way out of it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, okay, I know for a fact that I can kill, you know, Model X, doesn't matter what it would, the Ten Thunder Archer when I was playing Owen the other day. I know for a fact I can kill him, so I'm going to attack him, and he cheats in the 13 and... Like, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no way that you can surprise Chi. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like that's that's the end of it. Like, uh, if you he, if you have the card in your hand and you want that model not to die with uh, Ten Thunders or with Yen Lo specifically and the Chi mechanic, you can ensure that model does not die. Shenlong, Shenlong, the monk. Okay. Who did who did I say? You said Yen Lo. 
I mean, Yan Lo will also not die, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're discarding reasons. cards to not die, not discarding cheat to not die. Um, I, I just want to want to throw this out there. I think that uh, uh, what's her name? Who's the the geisha lady? Um, uh, Yuko. 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 I think Yuko is the weakest ma- master in Ten Thunders. Uh, she needed she something was left out of her. But just a shame, because, like, she's such a cool flavor. Um, I was really excited to pick her up when they first released those models um, at the start of third. Um, but I, I bet I agree. Her keyword, I think, just doesn't fit well into at least this mission set. Um, so I, I think she could use some buffs. I think the stuff in her keyword is just weirdly costed. You pay a whole bunch for uh, the distraction aura, but there's not that many willpower attacks around. So if you can just keep that distraction aura far enough away from the master that she can't do her annoying or control stuff to it, it's not really gonna. You're you're paying a lot of points for something you're not going to get much mileage out of. Kabuki warriors are amazing. Uh, you take them with. Uh... Jacob Lynch, uh, and that's just, like phenomenal. But uh, she herself, eh. yeah. I mean, late in the beta, distraction got reduced in range, and I wonder if she got caught by that by accident. Yeah, there's several masters that late in the beta something happened, and then Seamus' entire keyboard doesn't work. I like Seamus. You leave him alone. I mean, I like him too, but he he's not. He needs some work. I like him as a friend. <laughs> So if you were going to pick a lover, who would that be within the Resurrectionist faction? It's true. I don't know the answer to that one. He's basically her lost <laughs> love. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, on that note, things have gotten really weird and it's getting late. I think we're all a little loopy. So uh, we're going to go ahead and end for the, ni- for the night. Anybody have any closing comments? Uh, no, just really excited to be getting back together with you all, right? Like, so this group... Um, for, for listeners out there, a bunch of us would pr- would play together in person pretty regularly, um, and we haven't been able to do that since this whole pandemic started. So it's really great to be able to get that same kind of banter and then share it with, with the listeners out there. So really excited to do more of these. And I want to generically plug Vassal as a... Not a perfect substitute to playing in person, but a very good way to do it. If you've been on the fence about it or haven't tried it out, it's, it is a good experience. And once you pass the initial learning curve, games run quickly and smoothly. And some of the features, man, I wish I had something that automatically displayed auras in real life. That would be just spectacular. They make those. They're called templates. I also want to point out that I said, does anyone have any closing comments? And Owen was like, no, but I'm going to go ahead and talk for the next two minutes anyway. <laughs> it's our witty banter, you hush. Well, it, it's banter. Oh! End the night on a sick burn. Yeah, okay. And, and with that, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any co- uh, questions, comments, go ahead and uh, drop us a message, and we hope to hear from you guys soon. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.